Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, a goodly morning to you. Goodly morning to you too, Andrew. Yeah. But wait, should we be should we be saying goodly morning? What about all the Gabby Agbon Lahores and the Ashley Youngs of this world? Should we not be adhering to their commands and sort of mutely celebrating well, uh, an Arsenal victory? Maybe, but my, my thought on this is that I hope that the albatross of misery shits in both their mouths. <laughs> I mean, fuck's sake. That would be nice. <laughs> that would be nice. Goodly morning it is. Do you know that Ashley Go Young... On. Still denies that happened, by the way. Despite the video footage of bird shit going in his mouth, he says it didn't happen. Yes, uh, there are. If you look this up on YouTube, there are interviews, as I did over the weekend, to remind <laughs> myself of the glorious moment where uh, a bird defecated directly into Ashley Young's mouth from right at the top of a stadium. He denies it happened, and I guess you would, right? It's deeply humiliating. Well, it's not your fault. You know, sometimes things happen. They say, uh, don't they, that, you know, for a bird pooping on you is supposed to be good luck of some kind. I don't really understand why it is. So, you know, maybe after a bird shit right into his mouth, uh, he won the lottery or he, you know, something good happened to him. Maybe he just doesn't want to um, share that particular news. I don't know what it is, but a bird definitely did shit in his mouth. I think we can say that with yeah, Iron it's good that we can yeah. clarify that and put that on record. So, look, it's it's a goodly morning, but it's also a, a bon matin because you are uh, in France, isn't that right? May we? Yes, having May a, we? I am having I a grand say. old time. Did you get a good kebab? Because I was thinking, you know, of your of your dinner the other night, and man, best kebab I ever had in my life was in France, and I've got a hankering for a good kebab, but. Dublin isn't the kebab capital of the world. Uh, there's some okay places, but none of them really do it for me. So I was thinking, you know, how lucky you were to be somewhere where you could get a good kebab. Did you get a good kebab? I have. I've eaten well. I've had a kebab that was delicious. I've had uh, base, I think it's pronounced, the sort of dish of the region. Um seafoody soupy thing uh it's been i've had a lot of croissants guys you know i don't want to mess up with the formula i'm in france um no it's good i'm in my hotel room at the moment i was just saying to your fair i mean if it was up to you i think you would have me live in this hotel room because <laughs> there are no windows um no gardeners it's i'm completely insulated from the world it's got 
quite fast Wi-Fi. I could just sit in here and, and podcast indefinitely. Yeah. I mean, maybe we'll do a GoFundMe or something like that, too, what we can do. Well, uh, we've got the Patreon, do you know what I mean? That's true, if, yeah. If the Patreon has to be diverted <laughs> to pay for me to live in a hotel in the old port of Marseille for the sake of the podcast, so be it. Okay. Okay, well, look, we'll, we'll discuss that afterwards. Clearly, you're hankering for a life change here, but I think this might be done, or better off done, off air. You know, there's a big decision to be made here. Uh, you, were in, you were in Marseille to uh, watch Big Billy. How did he get on last night? Big Billy. Well, he's, I mean, he has good news this morning. Uh, yeah. He's been called up to the France national squad. There was some talk about that yesterday, and it has now happened. He turns 21 this week, too, so a nice little birthday present for him there. Uh, he was uh, good. I mean, they kept a clean sheet. I think he was a little bit fortunate to not give away a penalty at one point. Um if you remember Diego Forlan mm. going down under Martin Keown's challenge in the penalty box, it was kind of shades of that, really, yeah. chasing back into the area and knocking a guy over. He had ups and downs in the game, but clearly a very talented player. Marseille doing very well. Um, Matteo Ganduzzi there as well, doing a lot of uh, running around and pointing, pointing to, to, to some good effect, actually. Um so, yeah, it was incredible atmosphere. I have to say, I'd never been to a game at the Velodrome and uh, it was Nice visiting who mm. are pretty heated rivals and they're second and third in the table. So it was a big, big game and um, mainly thought a flare was sort of going to go off and I was going to explode or burst into flames <laughs> at any particular moment. I, I was... Uh, yeah, it was not good for my heart rate, but yeah. an electric atmosphere. I, I and do- I'll be writing that up. Yeah. Later in the week. I do like the fact that you've done a Chris Kamara here. You know that. You've done a Chris Kamara, yeah. Because it was... What's a Chris Kamara? Well, you know that clip of him where um, they say, oh, there's been a goal at whatever. And he goes, has there, Jeff? Oh, yeah. Has there? It was 2-1 to Marseille, so that's not the cleanest sheet I've ever heard. Oh, yeah. I should have uh, <laughs> watched the game, actually. I should have watched the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um yeah, fair point. Yeah. Fair point. That's okay. That's uh, okay. But, you know, like I say, uh, in France, they all drink uh, wine in the press box, you know, so oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's a whole different vibe, you know. <laughs> I, I was I, That's my excuse. That's fair enough, and it's a good excuse. Um, and I, it was I'm very a, nearly a clean sheet, wasn't yeah. it? It was, nine, it was stoppage time. They got and it was only one goal, so it was only a slightly dirty sheet. It wasn't, you know, <laughs> disgustingly train-spottingly stained uh, the way that some sheets have been. Speaking of clean sheets, um, Bernd Leno, he kept his pretty yeah. clean this weekend. How, how um, when you were watching this, because I'm, you know, we, we've got a bit of distance now between the game. And when I was watching it, I, I, I felt extremely tense, I have to say. Extremely tense. I saw one of my neighbours walking past the house um, as I was doing the live blog. And it was into about like the 85th minute. And it was starting to get a bit, a bit uh, nervy, you know, um, because of the lead and everything else and, and what was at stake. And I saw my neighbor walking past the house and I thought, how simple his life is. How quiet mm. and relaxed. He's just going down the road. He's not stressed out to the eyeballs about Arsenal hanging on for the rest of the 90 minutes plus whatever amount of injury time is going to be added on and whatever mad thing we do late in the game that's going to give Aston Villa a chance, which is, you know, inevitable. That is going to happen. I was sure of that. And I I was almost jealous of him 
um, just being completely unaware of what was happening um, on the pitch at Villa Park. And then once the final whistle went and I got into the, the whole celebration aspect of it and the relief and everything else, I, I've, I sort of forgot over the weekend how tense it was while I was watching it. So does that tally with your experience? It was quite tense. It was quite tense. I mean, you know, and we very nearly did do some silly things to give them a chance. Uh, I, I've been focused on the positivity mm. and all the good things about the game. But uh, at some point, I will have to mention Nicola Pepe's uh, cameo, which uh, yes. I, it seemed on a one-man mission, really, to uh, cause us some issues. <laughs> um, but ultimately, we followed the Midlands away formula that has proved so effective for us, you know. Um, <laughs> play well in the first half, get in front. Um, seemingly lose our way a bit and look a bit tired in the second half but then when the going gets tough bring on Rob Holding shut down game over listen when that man comes on and he makes that five at the back signal with his hands home fans you can go home because it's over it, it, it is over. And look, I, I'm going to break this out now because um, I, I thought this was absolutely brilliant. Um, Scotty Baker, um, there was a, a discussion uh, among some of our Ars blog regulars. Scotty Baker was talking about how when Rob Holding comes on, he needs almost like a theme tune because of the impact that he has. Um, I agree. To which uh, Brooklyn Gooner, Paul Fritzke, uh, suggested... This. So I'm going to play this. I I think it fits perfectly. I've done a little edit, so it's a little bit shorter. But imagine this playing as Rob Holding comes onto the pitch. I mean... I think we should do it. It's perfect, isn't it? Sam and Dave, hold on, I'm coming. It works on so many levels. It's a great tune. It's got hold and holding. I'm coming to save the day or to shore up the defense, whatever it might be. I mean, you're right. When he's on, that's it. It's game over for the opposition. It's brilliant. Yeah, he, he, he yeah, he's, he's developing real cult hero status for that role. But it was a bit nervy at the end, but I think that played into and made worthwhile mm. everything we saw after the full-time whistle, which were jubilant scenes, really, and and uh, the sort of thing that makes any of those kind of stressful, uh, traumatic memories evaporate Yeah, I mean, that that's part of why the celebrations are so big, because there is an element of relief. Not only, you know, you've won a big game, and we needed three points, and we'll talk about that, obviously, because there's so much at stake now. And week on week, the stakes are getting higher and higher, and the games are more important. So celebrating a win in those circumstances, it's just an obvious thing to do. But there's more to it because you do have that relief because you are hanging on a bit. I'm not sure if we'd won that game 2-0, 3-0, it would have quite have been at the final whistle quite as intense. You know what I mean? Not least because the last moment of the game, the last kick of the game basically is a Coutinho free kick, which Bernd Leno makes a good save from as two Villa players are coming in at the back post as well to maybe try and, and not home a rebound or whatever it might be. That plus, um, you know, the relief, plus how big that was uh, as a result overall. I mean, that just explains everything about the way that the the celebrations went down. Yeah, 
Exactly. It all feeds into each other. Um, and uh, But, you know, like I say, it just makes that moment of catharsis uh, all the greater. And I guess it lays bare the sort of absurdity of, of the whole Celebration Police nonsense because um, these points were hard won and were really important. So mm. naturally... We're going to revel in that, but who will um, who will police the celebration police? The age old <laughs> question. We will. We will. We will now. Um, it's well, the, yeah. the birds of the skies will. Um, <laughs> the albatross of misery. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, listen. I, I mean, I uh, I watched it on my impeccable Wi-Fi in my uh, hotel room, and there was some nervous pacing mm. um, in those latter stages, but. <laughs> We came through, and that was the that was the important thing. Right. So let's go back to the start because um, Aaron Ramsdale was ruled out with an injury before the game. Mm-hmm. Gabriel Martinelli was ill. Now mm-hmm. I think when you've got replacements of the caliber of Bernd Leno as your number two goalkeeper and Emil Smith Rowe, you know, our leading goal scorer or now joint leading goal scorer, um, because of what Bukayo Saka did, um, that's not too shabby at all. But it doesn't leave you with a great deal of depth beyond that. Like, this is already a very, very streamlined squad without much to offer from the bench in, in the way of attack anyway. So losing Martinelli in particular was a was a real blow, uh, especially given how well he had played against um, Liverpool on, on Wednesday night. But I thought we were great. I thought we were really, really good in that first half, right up until the point where the momentum was taken out of the game by the challenge on on Saka. And we'll come to that, I guess, um, in due course. But away from home, after playing Liverpool on Wednesday night, after being beaten you know, against the Villa side who should really have been more up for it than they appeared to be, I thought we were excellent in that opening half an hour, 35 minutes. Um, some of the football we played was was great. And even in the second half, I thought we played good football at times as well. But it was really dominant. And I think I said to you on, on WhatsApp at some point during the game, like periods like this um, are, are – it's another – it's another way for us to see what we need to do, if you like, because turning that dominance into end product and goals is just so crucial at this level, you know? Yeah, and Arteta said that after the game, didn't he? Mm. Uh, was it this game? I think so. He seems to be saying it quite a lot at the present time that we have to, when we're in control, get the second and third goal and mm. kill the game. I mean, it's interesting, you know, I was speaking to a Spurs fan the other day and about their perception of Arsenal. He's like, yeah, Arsenal are doing really well. They're picking up a lot of results, but it feels like they often win by one goal. They mm. just edge it, you know, and and I, and I can see what they mean there. You know, it, we, it is often quite tight in those final stages of the game and that separation needs to come from us being clinical. But mm. I agree we started really well. I agree as well. Like it, it, in terms of the players we lost, don't get me wrong, uh, Ramsdale and Martinelli are hugely important. Um, we're missing Tommy Asu as well. Still, yeah. let's not forget. Yeah. Uh, but if you were picking two players or two positions where maybe we could lose somebody without it dramatically affecting the quality of the starting lineup, I do wonder if it might be those two. Just in terms of the replacements we have available, I mean Smith Rowe, his ability speaks for itself, and uh, I don't think it should be forgotten that Leno's still a, a very competent goalkeeper yeah. um, who served us very well for a long time, and. Uh, I thought we started really well. A lot of 
uh, speaking of rival fans, would have been looking at this game, I think, hoping for us to drop points, especially off the back of the Liverpool match. You know, we've seen after the defeat at United, we've seen after the defeat at City, it took a little bit of time mm. for us to kind of find our feet again, get going. I thought as soon as this game kicked off, we were at it. We were dominant. We were creating chances. There was one for Smith Rowe in the first five minutes. Yeah, um, A very good counter after about 10 minutes in where Thomas Partey shot straight at the keeper. 20 minutes or so, Saka and Odegaard combined and Smith Rowe again. Maybe could have done better. There were really promising moments, mm. but it was the it was mainly the the way in which we asserted ourselves, the way in which we brushed off the defeat against Liverpool that gave me a lot of cause for encouragement. Yeah, I agree. I think we're learning about this team as the season goes on that they are capable of dealing with adversity. They're capable of compartmentalizing a bad defeat. They're capable of of responding when we need to respond and um yeah you know there were moments in that first half where um i, I know this is probably a conversation or a, um, an observation that is going to be made on every arsenal podcast between now and the end of the season but there there were moments where if we had more presence and more goal threat up front we probably would have turned this game um much more in mm-hmm. our favour. Uh, you know, I think Lacazette has done some very good work of late, but I think he really, really struggled in this game. I think he looked tired. There were poor decisions. He couldn't get shots off. I remember one in the first half where the ball came to him and he really should have just taken a touch, turned and shot, and it, it didn't. It just didn't happen for him. Um, you know, he's not quite um, quick enough in the box uh, these days. So you're looking at that and thinking it's a problem and I think it is a problem but also you could look at it from the other uh, point of view and say well look when we do get that player or do get those players who can react a bit more quickly then these are games which may not be quite as traumatic as we head to the 85th minute 90th minute 94th minute and there's a free kick on the corner of our box you're going well maybe they'll get a consolation goal rather than an equaliser you know yeah yeah I think that's I think that's fair enough on Lacazette. I think maybe we thought three games in a week would be a stretch for him and mm. maybe that played into his performance. I mean, the big moment I thought came in the second half as far as he's concerned with that great move actually and a really oh. good pass from Granit Xhaka into him. It's brilliant, isn't he it? He had Odegaard. Xhaka pass, yeah. Yeah, the Xhaka pass is, I mean, it's probably the pass of the game. Um, and obviously he had Odegaard to his right-hand side. I think he even had an option to his left. If Pepe he, if he and... Pepe and Smith Rowe inside him. Like if he was Cesc Fabregas, that ball would have gone reverse into Pepe yeah. or Smith Rowe. Uh, I yeah. mean, he's but he doesn't need that. to be. He could just be Lacazette and play Odegaard in on the right hand <laughs> side. You know, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Took a wrong decision there. So yeah, it, it, it certainly wasn't his day. Although, as we may come on to, <laughs> I think we still probably saw a, a drop in quality when he came off. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, you know, uh, when we did need that breakthrough in the first half. We were able to get it from Bukayo Saka, whose whose productivity mm. um, is going from strength to strength at the, at the present time. Yeah, I mean, and he look, started the game yeah. superbly as well. He was great. I thought he was really, really good. Um, that combination with Odegaard is 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 fantastic. Um, the goal, I mean, probably not the cleanest hit he'll ever make in his life, but it went through the legs, uh, well, through a sea of legs or beyond a sea of legs. I, you know. 
think I'd be a bit unhappy if my goalkeeper conceded that, to be honest. Um, I mean, Martinez made a couple of really good saves. There was one where he prevented the own goal was unbelievable. Ooh. I mean, Correct an unbelievable save. save. And I was thinking, oh, shit, here we go. Here we go. This is going to be t- not just one of those games where the goalkeeper has the performance of his life, but a former Arsenal goalkeeper has the performance of his life. It felt like it was going to set up for that. But look, Saka is, you know, when it comes right down to it, a match winner. That's a match winning goal. I remember, this is not to compare the two players or the two teams or anything like that, but I remember in the, was it, I think it was the first double, no, maybe the second double. When Freddie Jumberg, yeah, it was the first one. Uh, was it? No, it must have been the second one. Um, Freddie scored a load of goals in one nil wins. Really, that was a really, uh, two. Yeah, O2. Yeah. yeah, the second double. So, you know, it's it's very often um, games are decided by fine margins, and you need a player who can just be there to make that difference. And he does it. He does it time and time again. Um, while all the time having to deal with opposition players and teams who are trying to fucking boot him up and down the pitch to little or no protection. But he was absolutely great. Um, Scored the goal. Turns out to be the match-winning goal. Huge contribution from him. Huge contribution from him this season as well. Smith-Rowe and Saka now in double figures for goals, which is really brilliant for two 20-year-olds, you know? Um and yeah, look, he, he was great up until the point where he was um, hurt in that in that challenge with, with Tyrone Mings. Do you want to do that now? Shall we talk about that? Yeah, I think so. Why not? How do you um, how do you view that incident? Because it's one of those where I always feel a little bit like he went for the ball, he got the ball, he caught him on the follow through. It was nasty unintentional I think I don't think he meant to catch him or anything like that but it's one of those where you're trying to weigh up the seriousness of the the injury or the the pain inflicted on the player versus the the lack of intent intent isn't really relevant either you know you don't have to intend to hurt some uh, somebody to do them damage so what did you think of the the decision to give him a, a yellow card would you have been looking for more if it was a mm-hmm. if it was a different player for example who had been fouled there like um let's say he'd fouled cedric would we as arsenal fans have been quite as exercised by that challenge because the reality is and we'll talk about this i think is is that saka is targeted and he's kicked and he's fouled a lot so there's an element of us being really protective of him in this incident i think definitely and i think we're right to be and i'm really happy that you know arteta's talking about it that saka's taking it upon himself to talk about it talking yeah. to referees talking in a post-match interview i thought handled it superbly as well the way he spoke about it that particular tackle I don't think that is a red card for me. Um, it looks bad in the moment because of the speed at which he comes in. Mm. I think he's saved by the fact that he doesn't really uh, leave the ground, as it were. Or, you know, that yeah. he essentially comes in very low. Um, I think if he's any higher, he's in massive trouble. For me, the issue is not that one challenge and that being a red card or not. It is the kind of systematic tactical fouling and the degree to mm. which referees are kind of aware of that and able to kind of control police that yeah you know I I think this match was particularly sort of absurd 
um, in terms of the officiating because we saw that example of Granite Shaka being booked for the totting <laughs> up of imaginary fouls. I mean, it, it, it was Thomas Partey who went around committing a load of fouls in the first half and I thought was going to get booked. It was like Granite had so, sort of taken the points on his driving licence for him. It was mad. <laughs> I mean, he'd done nothing wrong and then suddenly he was booked. Um, but then he's Granite Xhaka. And I think... I was really disappointed, I have to say, by Steven Gerrard's comments after the game about, I've got 16 screws in my hip. You know, that's, you know, he, he won't rest until Bukayo's got the same. I mean, I just thought, I, I thought that was really mm. um, stupid, to be honest. No, it A is. really stupid parallel to draw. It is stupid. I mean, um, for people who haven't heard Gerrard's comments, he said, he's a good player, an outstanding talent. I love him, but he can't complain about that side of it. That's football. I'm sitting here now with screws in my hips. I've had about 16 operations. I'm struggling to go to the gym at the moment. That's all on the back of earning a living in English football. He'll learn and he'll learn quick. I mean, it's just ridiculous that a man who has had 16 operations and has yeah. got screws in his hips, isn't thinking, how do we prevent that happening to other footballers? Rather than wearing it as some kind of badge of honour, you know, you're in a position of responsibility as a, a Premier League manager. You're in charge of the careers of young players of your own. And I, I listen, I love the physical aspect of football. I love the aggression. I love all mm. of that. It's part. Do you think it was a red game. card, by the way, Tyrone Mings? Uh, I, uh, I think it would have been harsh. I think it would have been harsh. But again, it's because it happened to Saka that I'm a, a little more upset about it, you know, because it, it happens to him all the time and, and referees um, and officials don't give him the, the protection that he needs. But Gerard, you know, he's got to realise that what happened to him or, or whatever he endured or suffered uh, because of the way um, football was or the way that uh, he played the game doesn't mean everybody else has to do it. You know, it's disappointing. It really is. It's disappointing. And then he said, oh, he said we were too rough. Did Arsenal not commit any fouls? And, uh, you know, I think that's – he didn't say that. He didn't say anything about Villa being too rough. He just said that he'd, he told the referee that um, he needs a bit more protection because people are um, purposefully trying to kick him out of the game or just trying to kick him and not kicking the ball. So I think it's great that he um, said it. I really, really liked the reaction of the Arsenal players as well. I think McGinn Same. was quite lucky the way that he came over and just barreled into to Lacazette. It was like, you know, that kind of um, those uh, bubble football games. You see the people uh, wearing these bubbles, like two bubble footballers smashing into each other and one of them going arse over tit. Um, he was quite lucky, but I really like the reaction of the Arsenal players because it, it tells me that they know it's an issue. And... You know, I've seen people say, well, you shouldn't get up in the face of the referee and, you know, you're asking for trouble and all that kind of stuff. But no, you've got to stick up for, for someone like that when, when they're hurt, when there's been a bad challenge on them. You can't just sort of stand around meekly and accept that kind of behavior and accept that kind of treatment um, of your any player, not just Saka, not just because he's young, not just because he's brilliant or anything like that, but any one of your players who is on the receiving end of that kind of treatment, you should stick up for them, you know? So mm -hmm. I was really heartened to see that. And I think we can 
we can marry some of that reaction on the pitch with some of the other wider stuff, the broader stuff that we're talking about when we think about the team, the connection to the fans, the 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 team spirit, the whatever it is that's going on at Arsenal right now. Look, you don't have to go too far back in time to see no reaction whatsoever from Arsenal players or not enough reaction when fouls similar to that have been committed on their teammates. It's just been... You know, and this is different. This is different. It's part of why we're doing what we're doing right now. Definitely. I, I really liked it too. I, the commentators on my uh, coverage that I was watching, which I think was the British coverage, um, weren't happy with it. saying those Arsenal players don't need to be there. And I was watching thinking, <laughs> well, they do. Yeah. I'm, I'm really delighted that they are. Um, you know, this is about a, a situation with Saka that frankly is not going to go away. I mean... He, he, yes, there's a stylistic component in terms of the fact that he's someone who runs at players and so he's going to get fouled. Um, you look at other players who get fouled a lot in this league, the likes of Jack Grealish, Wolfgang Zaha, you know, that is a kind of hazard of the job. But mm. second of all, it's because he's so good. He is so good that opposition defences do not know how else to deal with him. Mm. And increasingly, we're seeing fullbacks or other players rotating in to foul him just to try and kick him out of the game because they can't live with him. They can't handle him. And the greatest compliment you can give Saka is that by and large, it doesn't work. I think, you know, he clearly was hurt on Saturday and that impeded his performance. But by and large, he's able to brush it off and still do damage, still be brilliant. Um, I would love to think that this would stop or go away I don't think that's likely. And so I think Arsenal have to do everything in their power to try and make this situation yeah. um, more, I don't know, it's never going to work for them, but to, to try and control it as much as they can. And that comes down to the conduct of the players on the pitch, putting pressure on the officials, Arteta speaking about it in press conferences, us speaking about it now, it being talked about in the media. You know, it's a, a perception question. And if it's in the kind of public conversation, the public domain that Saka requires more protection, mm. then we can hope that might influence the officiating because it's it's vital really for us that he stays fit, stays healthy sure. and continues to develop like he has been. Yeah, but, but for him, just for him as a, a young player, a 20-year-old with the world at his feet when it comes to football, I know we are highly attuned to this kind of thing as Arsenal fans because we've lived this. We've lived through that kind of anachronistic dinosaur opinion that Steven Gerrard has about what's rough and tumble and, you know, football, you've got to be aggressive. Sure, you have to be aggressive. But if you create um, an environment in which, let's say, certain players or certain teams are targeted with aggression that's a bit over the top, you end up with situations like Abu Dhabi, like Eduardo, like Aaron Ramsey, all of whom were um, really badly affected, not just by the injuries, but subsequent problems that they had off those. Diaby and Eduardo in particular. I mean, it's, it's impossible to look at Ramsey and think that somehow the muscular problems aren't in some way... Um, connected course, to, the, related, to the broken leg. Could, yeah, exactly. Like yeah. compensation, whatever it might be. So much trauma, exactly. Yeah. Diaby had, Jesus, did you see his legs? 
you know, the end of his career, his knees, the scars, all of it. Eduardo never properly recovered. Um, you know, this was a guy who looked like he could take the Premier League by storm and eventually, you know, where did he go? Spartak Moscow or uh, somewhere? Um, Shakhtar, maybe? Shakhtar, yeah, exactly. You know, so the, the, the consequences of an environment in which players can be targeted without sufficient protection from referees, which is exactly what happened to Arsenal during the Wenger years, um, you know, the, the Sam Allardyce um, sort of Arsenal don't like it up a mentality that was pervasive throughout English football uh, was directly connected to those injuries. Um, and it's a shame, actually. It's really a shame, not a shame. It's shameful to hear Steven Gerrard talk the way he talked because it could be one of his players next and it's it's oh and if it was Jacob Ramsey or somebody like that I'm exactly. sure it changes tune pretty quickly exactly and look people have been pulling out all kinds of screenshots of Gerard um talking when he was manager of Rangers about how Rangers players need more protection from the referees so there's a, a an element of self-interest we know this um but but there is, I think, a responsibility on people at the top of the game to ensure that the game is played properly, fairly, and you can be aggressive and you can make tackles and you can be physical, but you have to acknowledge that there is a line you cannot cross and that if a player is routinely being targeted by teams week in, week out, as Saka is, our most fouled player... You know, I'm not. It's not Steven Gerrard's job to go to bat for Bakayo Saka, but at least acknowledge that this is an issue in football that can have serious repercussions for players and their careers. And when you're 20 years of age and you're already being booted up and down football pitches, um, you know, to to sort of dismiss Saka's own concerns and to twist what he said which was pretty polite, all things considered. He said, I just told the referee, this is my game, blah, blah, blah. It's fucking pathetic from Gerard. Yeah, and actually I have to say, I was a bit disturbed by a couple of things I saw on social media. You know, journalists who I follow, who cover Villa, who I really respect um, and seem to be fairly reasonable people, uh, were kind of tweeting things about you know, Saka rolling around and spending a lot of time on the ground and making the most of challenges. And I just thought, of course, I appreciate that there's kind of subjectivity and tribalism Mm. in all of our perception of the game, um, even for journalists. But I I was kind of shocked by that because I have to say that's just not how I see it at all. And I think he actually, you know, he's generally pretty good at kind of taking the kickings that he gets without complaint and making not a great fuss of them, not throwing his arms up at the referee, not protesting. And and I do wonder as well, there's a bit of a sort of cautionary tale. I think the most most foul player in the Premier League this season is Wilfred Zaha. It tends to be Wilfred Zaha year in, year out. And I do think he has suffered when you look at him a bit in terms of his reputation. I think people have kind of accused him as, of being someone who's a bit theatrical, who does make the most of stuff. And I think that with that has come a kind of permissiveness about what you can and can't do to him. I think that's, um, I think that's spot on. Because I had a look today at the stats, because I was looking at, you know, who are the most foul players in the Premier League. Saka is 58 times. 58 times he's been fouled for Arsenal this season in the Premier League. Zaha's on 95, something like that. Yeah. You know, which is absurd. 
And I know, yeah. again, that's and part that's of the his game, isn't yeah. That's where we don't want this to end up. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He's just, just a player you can pieces. kick. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and that's that's where this can end up. And I think it's a difficult balance because if you start protesting too much, then the referees start just shrugging their shoulders at everything mm. and thinking, you know, so as a club, as a player, he needs to try and find that balance. I have to say, I think for a man who's only 20 years old, he's doing a remarkable job of doing that. And, you know, it's interesting. We mentioned Ramsey, Diaby, Eduardo. The slight distinction is that that was at a time when there was kind of a generalised sense that you could get away with stuff on Arsenal players. Mm. I do feel like in this current team that Saka is being particularly targeted as an individual, um, which is arguably more dangerous, you know. Um, but like I said, it's not. It's I'd be shocked if it went away. So we just have yeah. to keep banging the right drums Absolutely. You know, and hope the message gets across. I think it did have an impact on the game as well um, yeah I think it, so. it sort of it halted our momentum and I, you know we did have good passages of play in the second half um, that, the one we already talked about with, with Lacazette where again it's one of those with more presence with more goal threat up front I think we make this game safe and we don't have to white knuckle our way to, to the final whistle and the uh, the late drama and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. Um so Saka bent one wide. That was a decent effort. Do you remember? Yeah, that? yeah, 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 yeah. Twenty-five, thirty yards. But you know, it was um, it was very different the second half. I mean, Villa. It was interesting, you know, because obviously we had Leno in, not Ramsdale, and you sort of thought, oh, well, is it going to affect the kicking, mm. playing out from the back? But in the first half, you know, what Ramsdale can do sometimes is break the press. Villa just didn't press at all. No, so there was kind of no need. You know, you could just give it five yards. Gabriel, Ben White, carry it up the pitch for the first thirty yards. They changed that in the second half. Um, they put us under a bit more pressure. Yeah. They were markedly better. And I think maybe we saw a bit of fatigue from Arsenal. Sure. You know, yeah. it had been quite a big week. And we played about the most physically demanding team in the league on Wednesday. Um, yeah. And as Mikel Arteta made the point, it was a quick turnaround. Yeah. I mean, I think we did have players who were tired. I think Lacazette, three games in a week, he's tired. Uh, Saka. Arteta spoke about fatigue, not just fatigue, but then he's got a hole in his, you know, ankle, which yeah. um, probably the fullbacks, you yeah. know, it, it takes a lot out of them. Yeah. But what I would say about Arsenal is, I thought, I thought we defended our penalty box. I mean, obviously, once Rob Holding came on, but even before oh. that, very, very well. Yeah, I, I think we need to talk about Gabriel and Ben White, um, but I, I've got a question about that. I think so. Maybe we'll okay. save that. Um, just, just sort of going back to the second half in general, and you referenced the the absurd booking of Granit Xhaka. Like, let's be honest, he is the master of picking up ridiculous bookings for things that he does himself, that he can have no excuse for, that you go, you, what are you doing? Uh, and he's had countless yellow cards like that in his Arsenal career. But this one was just nonsense. The referee counting out one, two, three fouls and the stat show that he literally made one foul in that first half. And that was the one that he got booked for. And it was a nothing, it was a nothing foul. So, you know, on the base... It wasn't even a foul, was it? It was for the reaction, I imagine. Yeah, maybe. But Buendia had three nibbles at him, I think, before... And Shaka actually went to offer him his hand. Buendia didn't take it. And yeah. then he gave him a little playful push. I mean, uh, it was a joke, that decision. Yeah. But did it worry you? Because it worried me. Of course. <laughs> it worried me because, like, I'm, I'm thinking, well, you know, if this referee 
is that keen to give Granite Xhaka a yellow card that he's actually invented fouls that he didn't make, it is not going to take much for him to give him a second one in the in the second half. And I have to say, look, we've all had our issues with Granit Xhaka. He has done some daft things in his time, but he really managed that second half very well. I think himself and Thomas Partey were really, really good. I know we weren't as in control or on top in the second half, but I thought both of them were outstanding in that second period. Xhaka, not just because he didn't give the referee even the scintilla of a chance to give him a second yellow card. Like, he managed the situation very well, but he also played very well. I think he uh, provided that great pass, as we talked about, for Lacazette. He was solid alongside Partey. He was a bit deeper this time as well um, when we needed him to be. So I think that midfield duo uh, deserve a lot of credit. We are going to talk about the central defenders, I think, in part two, because we we have a question about that. But those two, I thought, were, were really good. Yeah, they're, they're the dads, really, of the team, it feels like, you know. They, and Thomas Partey, excellent again. Um, Shaka, I thought, very solid, some really good defensive contributions. Um, I mean, Partey had some great moments. That pass out uh, to Saka, was it, in the first half, mm. first few minutes of the game, maybe a kind of raking crossfield ball, which was really gorgeous. Uh, I thought that they were very good and they helped us kind of manage the game in the second half centre halves like you mentioned very effective I've got in my notes that Ollie Watkins hit the post but I uh, I've gotten full Chris Kamara guys I don't remember what happened there he did he cut in on his left foot and took a shot which deflected off Kieran Tierney and it hit the outside of the post and went wide and burned Leno was not getting there I don't think um it was maybe the one moment in our box where we didn't have control or where we, we weren't quite as tight defensively uh, as we should have been. But for the most part, I think we, I think we were. Um, what a brilliant we, header from Gabriel, oh, you know. Yeah. And it's uh, the Gabriel thing, I mean, defensively, I thought he was just brilliant. Really, really almost perfect from a defensive point of view. But... You look at the statistics at the end of the game, he passed with like 97% accuracy, made more passes than anybody else on the pitch, any other Arsenal does, player. Yeah. yeah, and this is, it's quite interesting when we think about the new deployment of Granit Xhaka playing further forward because what we have now in our left-footed, left-sided central defender is a player who can do a lot of what Xhaka used to do in that area of the pitch. You know, we used to need mm. Granite Xhaka there to pick the ball up to to be sort of the the passing fulcrum, if you like. And Gabriel has has done a lot of that, which is why I think we can use Xhaka further forward. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Mm. I think he's trusted with the build up. I thought next to him, Kieran Tierney uh, had a very solid game as well. His yeah, his defending in the box, I think, is. Um, you know, in the discussion around Tierney and sort of versus Tavares or is he the right left back? I think his ability to kind of tuck in and be that almost auxiliary centre-half, that Nacho Monreal capacity to mm. kind of defend narrow, defend the far post, I think he's a bit underrated actually in that respect. Um, Do you think concerns think was- over his form this season have been more about what he's done in the opposition final third rather than his defending? Because uh, teams don't get a lot of joy down that side. No, that's a good point. And his role has changed. You know, he is, uh, I think, involved slightly less in the attack. I thought he was involved a bit more against Villa maybe. But you've got to remember as well that when he first came into the side, probably the most eye-catching thing about him was his ability to deliver these 
Peachy crosses out from the left flank and at the present time he really hasn't got anybody to aim for with those so I do wonder if we can get ourselves uh, you know a centre forward who can actually compete physically with some of these guys we're facing I mean you know Lacazette is not a good physical match for you know Van Dijk or even Mings the guys we faced this week mm. um, if we get someone who can compete with those individuals maybe we'll see a bit more of that aspect of Tierney's game but I do think defensively um he's doing very well at the present time and there have been some critical interventions in, in the last few matches let's talk about the substitutions then we already talked about Rob Holding coming on and doing his uh, doing his and business the to the theme tune but Nicolas Pepe for Bakayo Saka I mean Pepe has talent there's no two ways about it he's got yeah. talent what he doesn't have is consistency and that's why Bakayo Saka plays every week because he's got talent and consistency. Pepe mm -hmm. fluctuates far too wildly between very, very good, as he was when he came on against Wolves, and pretty damn awful, as he was in the game uh, at Villa Park. You know, there were... Yeah. I saw people uh, tweeting, it might have been Sam Dean, who was um, there and was saying that at one point Arteta was screaming at him to get closer to, I can't remember whichever player it was, down the left-hand side. Maybe maybe Ashley Young. Maybe he didn't want to go too near him in case a bird shit in his mouth. But, um, you know... it Splashback. Exactly. But, you know, when a player is coming on who, who hasn't really played a great deal um, all season... It's. I, I find it hard to to look at their performances and and wonder. Well, why aren't you doing everything you can in this situation? Maybe you're demotivated because you're not playing. Maybe you don't see a future for yourself. Maybe that's what it is. But but when you come on and your manager having given you all the instructions that you were uh, going to get, because sometimes it takes so long to get a, a substitution on because they're going through the notes. Look at the iPad. Now this is what's going to. Now this is what you got to do here. And you see the assistant coaches or whoever talking to the sub as they're about to come on. And there's like a list of instructions. This is what we need you to do. Uh, and then they come on and they just don't do it. It's it must be maddening for managers. Yeah, and and this was a particularly um, bad cameo. Like I say, it was almost like the first couple of things he tried didn't come off and it just sort of spiralled a bit from that point on. And I guess it culminated in the, the late concession of the free kick, which was um, a nerve-wracking moment. I mean, it was a, in a very dangerous silly position. challenge, wasn't it? Yeah, he just kind of hung a leg out. But I mean, I have a slightly different take on this. And I guess the same would go for Eddie in that, like, I, I don't... Um, I don't particularly have the sense that these are players who aren't engaged or committed or trying. Like in Pepe's case, for example, after he came on against Wolves, was brilliant. All the stories were about, you know, he didn't have to be here. He was at the birth and he wanted yeah, yeah. to be here. He wanted to help the team. And I believe that and I buy that. And I, um, I'm sure the intention is there. I think it is much more about being able to apply talent and being able yeah. to as you say offer consistency and you know as bad as this was from Pepe I guess I guess you almost have to kind of accept it and be like mm. well that was that was the Pepe we got today um, and in the next game you might get the Wolves Pepe again yeah. it's just literally you bring Pepe on you're pulling the roulette wheel and Anything could happen, no, I, <laughs> for better and worse. Yeah, um, I, I, I agree. I, I agree with your point about um, 
you know, they're the intention. I don't think they're they're just strolling around, although we did have a load of questions about Eddie and Kedia, so maybe I'll save one of those and we can broaden this discussion out in, in part two. Yeah, okay. But it is, um, you're absolutely right about Pepe. It's either one thing or the other, and it explains completely why he doesn't play on a regular basis. Yeah, I mean, you know? I watched that cameo, and, and, and with respect, Pepe, like I, I watched that cameo and I thought, well, it's, it's never... It's never gonna. You're never gonna be a starter for Mikel Arteta. Like it's just no. not gonna happen. Like the, he is not a player Arteta would trust. And I'm not saying that makes Arteta right, but that is not a marriage made in heaven. Is I, it? I think he might be right. I think he might be right not to <laughs> like not to. I mean, if you can't trust the the. Yeah, the maybe he's right on this one. I, I think know? he might be right. Like, I, I I see talent in Pepe, and I've seen some amazing things from him, but the hallmark of his time at the club has been inconsistency. Good one day, bad the next. Good for 15 minutes, bad for 75 minutes. You know, it's, it's just part and parcel of who he is. That's the player that we have, and that's what we're going to have to reckon with. And particularly between now and the end of the season, when we don't have a great deal in reserve from an attacking perspective, we've got to try as much as possible to keep him involved and to try and get the best out of him as and when we do it. But, like, if that, if that late free kick had gone in, like, I think he might have made Pepe walk home. You know, just gone off without him. <laughs> can, can, yeah, I mean, can I make a point about Pepe? I suppose yeah. we're talking about the Wolves game as this kind of example of what he can contribute. And yeah. There's a crucial distinction, right? In one game, he comes on with us chasing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. looking to score goals and win it. And in the other, he comes on with us looking to protect something. Yeah. And it, I think he is much more suited to one of those scenarios than the other. Um and had Martinelli mm. been available, for example, then I'm not sure he would have been selected in that in that situation. And maybe it's something to consider, you know, in the transfer market, in the future planning. You know, if Saka, Smith-Rowe, Martinelli, if these guys aren't going to play 90 minutes, who's the guy who you can bring on in that situation who can be disciplined, who can yeah. keep the shape, who can track his runners? You know, I remember Mourinho at Chelsea used to bring on Salomon Kalou and he would kind of close the game out, you know, just by being dogged. Yeah. Um, Danny Welbeck was great at that for Arsenal at times, you know. You could trust him in that scenario to hold his position, follow his runners. Maybe that's a little bit of a gap. Yeah. Know, someone who can play that wide forward role, but in a more disciplined manner. Yeah, I think that's, manner. that's a great point. Pepe is a chaser. He's not a closer. Yeah. You know. I mean, even even Nuno, you know, or someone a bit more defensively minded might have been an option. But yeah. listen, I understand Pepe is the obvious replacement for Saka. Um, yeah. And what he, what he might also do, I know we talk, we're talking about seeing a game out, but what Pepe can also do is give you a goal on the break as well. So... Um, you don't have to hold on as much if you can if you can harness that aspect of his talent, but it's difficult. It's difficult, you know. But look, I don't want to end this particular half on a on a negative because I think uh, the win itself and the reaction to the win coming full circle back to the celebrations at the final whistle, it really did feel like more than 
just three points. It's another example of this team and how it's growing, how it's developing, how it's cultivating the connection between, um, you know, itself and the fans, the way fans are reacting to results and all of that kind of stuff. Even the even the Ramsdale-Leno thing was a lovely moment, you know. It must have been a very yeah, difficult season for Bernd Leno. He's lost his place. You know, he's at an age now, what is he, 30, 31, something like that, where as a goalkeeper, he's a senior player. He's in the peak of his career. He's lost his place after three games in which he conceded a lot of goals. But I don't know that you would necessarily say... Arsenal's uh, defeats, um, particularly to Chelsea and Man City, uh, were were his fault or anything like that. He was a no. um, a, a, a victim, great save if you like. Chelsea, if yeah. you remember from Lukaku. Like it wasn't great against Brentford for one of the goals, but you know there was more to more to it than that. But you know he's been professional. He was needed. He performed. He pulled off a great save at the end. I think the fact that Ramsdale and himself had that moment. Um, of celebration. Ramsdale didn't have to be there. He was injured. No. Could have stayed at home, but he wanted to go A, a support the team, but I think he probably wanted to be there to support Leno as well, as you could see from those from those pictures. So things like that are really encouraging because they tell you, you know, what it's like inside the squad. Like this is not a guy who went on his holidays as his team was winning the FA Cup. You know what I mean? Yeah, indeed. Or if you look at Manchester United, I mean, there was a player left out of a squad who appeared to hop on a flight to Portugal for the Manchester Derby. So yeah. it speaks to, and along with things like, you know, Pepe wanting to play that game, um, you know, Gabriel, I think his uh, partner is sort of on the verge of going into labour, but his commitment is never wavered. He's wanting yeah. to play every game for Arsenal. Um, they all want to be part of it. You know, what's Ramsdale going to do? Sit home on his sofa? No, he wants to be there. He wants to... Of course he does. Who wouldn't want to be part of mm. that dressing room, the celebrations, those moments with the fans? I thought it was brilliant when everyone went to Leno and you know you saw that camaraderie that exists between the squad, between the goalkeepers, Saka in the crowd, you know, giving his shirt away, the the adoration that exists for him. And I think uh, and and the singing of the song for Mikel Arteta as well was a I thought a a significant moment. There's been a bit of that around yeah. at games in the last few weeks. But um, I guess the fact that this was captured by the cameras quite so clearly and it kind of you know took off on social media, that felt significant. Yeah. It felt like an acknowledgement of the manager that hasn't really been there for some time, probably, you know, since we won kind of the since FA Cup and the, the Community yeah. Shield. I've got, a, yeah. I've got a question about that. So will we save it for part two? Okay. Because we've been going a while. Yeah, let's so let's take a little break here. Um, it was 1-0, yeah, in the end. I just need to check because, I mean... Was it, Jeff? Uh, was it? You sure? <laughs> yeah, no, it was 1-0. It was yeah. a clean sheet, okay, an actual good. clean sheet. That so, was an actual clean sheet. That was an actual right. clean sheet. Okay, so just right, mark, right. mark that down in your little notebook there for future reference. Yeah? I will. Thank All you, All right. We, <laughs> we'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. 
It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome back to part two of the Arscast Extra. This is where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog and also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. James, you talked about celebrations and people enjoying things, and it's hard not to um, enjoy this season through uh, the prism of Ian Wright, who seems to be enjoying a lot of it. Uh, we had our um, we had our jingle, didn't we, uh, after the North London derby? When it's it was, a great day. It's a great day. And there was some coverage um, that he tweeted uh, at halftime, uh, which I'm going to play here. This is sort of coming back from an ad break on whichever Premier League um, channel he was on. So this is, this is how it went. Mikhail Saka's strike in the first half. Enough for Arsenal to get all three points in a return to winning ways. Much to the delight of my studio opponent. Yay! Yay! <laughs> so I did sort of in the um, the enjoyment in the celebrations of, of winning I, I said I would crank out the jingle machine see if I could do something with that so I did and I might as well play okay. it here now alright here we go here's another one of these uh, Ian Wright jingly things which you can do with as you wish What I suggest that was great. What I suggest people do with that is, um, you know, load it up on an MP3 player, attach it to their car, and just drive around the streets of Birmingham, you know, all around Villa Park with that on full volume. Uh, seems the only appropriate. Thing. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. All right. We will get on with the questions then. And you, I'm going to go first. You referenced it towards the end. A couple of people on the Discord. Stanley says, what do you make of the new Mikel Arteta chant? And are you pleased he's starting to get some recognition from the crowd? And Rob Gunnar says, thoughts on the new Arteta chant? And how much do you think it means to him personally? Well, I think he was pleased. I mean, you know, he deflected it as he would in his mm. press conference and said all the right things as he tends to do. But it must mean something to him. Sure. You know, he's not... He's not blind or, or deaf, should we say, to the fact that, you know, it's not always been easy for him at Arsenal. There have been difficult times. And I think as much as we've enjoyed aspects of this season, as a fan base, I think the credit or the affection and the love, we've spoken about this before, mm. has tended to go to the team. You know, the, the young players, the academy boys, the new signings, more so than Arteta. And I think the fact that it, was so kind of wholly and wholesomely towards him on Saturdays, really telling because I think this game and this result felt like proof of something, you know? It was like having lost to Liverpool, 
maybe we all had that fear that kind of the good form had been a bit of a mirage and that the spell would somehow be broken. Mm. And for us to go and win what looked like a tricky fixture on paper was kind of like proof of concept, you know. It's kind of like a real commendation of the progress that we've made. And I, I'm pleased Arteta's getting a bit of love. I think uh, I think he deserves it at this point. What about you? I think it's a really interesting development, isn't it? It tells you that there is buy-in, you know, and it's not that um, people haven't been encouraged by what we've done this season. Um and the way the team is developing, the way the, the, the players are growing together. Like, he's made a lot of unpopular decisions. He really has, you know? And, sure. And, I think and, it's, and made mistakes, too. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, he's not been perfect by any means. But uh, I suppose the one thing that even when things weren't particularly, um, you know, when we were having some difficult moments, the one thing that I always was able to hang on to was... I believed him when he talked about trying what he wanted to do and what he wanted to try and do um, about making the team competitive. It wasn't always easy, perhaps, to see if he was going to be capable of it, but I never, I never questioned his integrity is the wrong word, but um, I think he was just absolutely straight with everyone from the start, from the time he came and said, there's something missing here. You know, remember that game against um, Man City before he took Man over? City. I think yeah. he he was there in the stadium and he referenced it in his first interview that there was something wrong or that, that as a club, Arsenal were missing something. And he, I think he's worked really hard to try and cultivate that between the fans uh, and the team. And part of that, of course, is creating a team that can win football matches because results are the key uh, driver to, to all of this. But it's, as you say, a recognition that he is um, winning people over might be the wrong way of putting it, but it's a recognition that the work he is doing is part of what's making all of this so enjoyable. Um, the players obviously go out in the pitch and they do it, but you you have to recognise that Arteta and his coaching staff are preparing this team and organising this team and um, you know coaching them and getting them ready for these games and have instilled things into this team which were missing, which allow us to go and win games like that at Aston Villa and win games, uh, you know, against Wolves and Leicester of late and to to be slightly more competitive against the big teams. And that's another step that we have to take. But we're in the top, we're in the top four and it isn't just by accident. And it's not just the players doing it on their own. So if people want to sing about the manager and his part in that, then I think that's absolutely right. Yeah, and how far we've come from that Manchester City game before Arteta took over, yeah. where you know that relationship between not just the team, the club more generally, and its supporters felt quite broken at that point. Yeah, um, and you know the, the the work that's been done to repair that is is quite impressive, and it was quite the show of unity at full time there. Um, which I know is always easier when you win. Yeah, but of course. I, I, I genuinely, I, I genuinely feel that you know even when we lost to Liverpool the other day, there was. Um, some semblance of that at full time and a lot of fans stayed in the stadium and really saluted the team I think we've built something we're building something that can sustain um, you know the occasional setback can, um, can I ask you a question do you think yeah, 
that in some way, I mean, we're having a laugh about the celebration police and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes I feel it's a bit like um, certain celebrity fans who you don't want to give the oxygen of publicity to because they just mm. aren't worth anybody's time or... or Oba's never going to shag you, Piers, all right? <laughs> so that kind of thing. So you don't want to spend too long on this celebration police thing. But do you think part of it is that the improvement that Arsenal have made this season, like, it's been easy to to view us or to view the team or view the club as a bit of a joke at times because of certain things that have happened and that there always sure. seems to be a a drama or a soap opera going on at Arsenal. And now all Banter of a sudden, club. yeah, and now all of a sudden, like Smith Rowe and Saka are not banter. They're fucking no. deadly serious. Martinelli, Thomas Partey, Gabrielle and Ben White, Aaron, you know, there is real tangible serious improvement and part of the reaction from sections of the media or punditry or whatever or even opposition fans is like they don't like that they prefer if we were just the banter club i think there's an element of that i think you know people enjoy using arsenal as a punch bag and it's difficult to do that at the present time but i want to give people some credit as well and increasingly i'm reading things about, you know, Manchester United need to take a leaf out of Arsenal's book. Uh, I do think there are mm. people who are recognising the work, the overhaul, the project that is going on here. Um, and I think we emerged from Saturday and from the recent run generally with a great deal of credit. There are going to always be people who don't like that, who don't want that. Yeah. But... Uh, Oh, Sodom, I guess. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably you know, the best attitude to have, yeah. But on the subject of Arteta, though, this was quite an important question on the Discord from Ivanson or Ivanson, I'm not sure. And they say, goodly morning. We have to talk about Arteta's clapping technique. <laughs> now that he's doing more clapping after games, it's becoming a real concern. Are you aware of this? Uh, yes. I, I, Worry. I, I mentioned this a while ago, I think. Um, I Yeah, I'm going to see if I can find the the, the tweet that I posted uh, about Reportedly, this. he claps with his fingers splayed. Yeah, here is it is. I, I'm going to send you God. a... Um, where will I send it? In the chat here? Or uh, what's the easiest yeah. way? I'll do it in the little chat box here. And I, I already noticed this. So you can see... You're ahead of the curve, Yep, essentially. You can see what I was talking about, what I was referencing, because it's uncanny. Mikel Arteta's hand clapping technique has been bugging me because it reminded me of something I couldn't quite figure out. (laughs) It is. If you've watched Arrested Development, it's um, there's a running gag in Arrested Development where they, um, they all do different noises for the noise of a chicken. I don't can't remember all of them, but... Mikel Arteta's hand clapping technique is Joe Bluth as he's doing his his chicken noise, which I can't remember what one it is. Like no, that's the other one. But anyway, it's uncannily like Joe Bluth from Arrested Development. He does have a very 
specific thing. I'll I'll put the tweet in the show notes. People can have a look at it and see. But yeah, yeah listen, I mean. He's doing a lot of good work on the training ground, but a few sessions on clapping technique wouldn't go miss. Yeah, I don't know what Mikel Arteta's chicken noise is like. Someone can ask him that at some point, I guess. Perhaps we'll hear it at some point. I can imagine <laughs> he'd, he'd someone. I can imagine someone asking him that in a press conference and him uh, taking really kindly to that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he loves those kind of questions. He loves a bit of fun. Yeah, <laughs> he's just a fun guy. Um, well, look, we we kind of skirted round. Eddie and Ketia bit. Right. Did you have some? I've got a few questions about him. Did you have some? I did. Um, let me see. If uh, I had... Um, where's uh, Professor Bananas, who said, wasn't Ketia drunk? <laughs> Very low energy, poor touches, tripping over the ball, little determination in the press. We surely need more from him. Um, Joe, who's at Red and White, 11. Yeah. Good morning, guys. How concerning was Nketiah's lacklustre cameo this weekend? It's frustrating to see while trying to hold on to the lead and it's likely we'll need him again in a similar scenario, possibly against better opposition. I thought he was... I thought he was poor. Um, Certainly... um, It's one of those where you look at a guy and you think... It's not so much... For me, anyway, where I was concerned, wasn't, wasn't so much when we were in possession, although I think, you know, there are elements of um, issues of quality there um, where he doesn't quite do enough, but out of possession. And I don't know what the balance is between a guy who doesn't look like he's doing enough to close down the opposition defenders and pointless running. You know what I mean? You know, the kind of like run around a bit, lad, that kind of stuff. Like, running for show rather than effective positioning. You know what I mean? Like anyone can chase Yeah, because I think as fans, we go, you've come on, there's only 10 minutes left or whatever it is, chase everything. But I suspect from a coaching perspective, yeah. that's probably not what he's being asked to do. Yeah, I, I, I think that's what it is. But from a fan's perspective, in the last 10 minutes of a game where you're hanging on to a one-goal lead, you're kind of looking at a guy who's barely played this season, who should be able to come on and and really, I don't mean just charge around indiscriminately, but maybe put a little bit more pressure on opposition defenders. Um, that That's what it felt like to me. And I hold my hands up and say he could be instructed to, be, uh, to do exactly what he was doing against... Um, Villa on Saturday but from the from the sofa with my eyes it it bothered me a little bit you know because I just felt like there could have been more from him yeah I mean I think he I think he's playing quite badly at the yes present time. that's also true uh, there have been there was a decent cameo again against Wolves again a different situation where we're chasing a goal mm. rather than trying to see it out um you know, he, d- he had a bad time in the away fixture there when he came on. Uh, doesn't appear massively suited to this job that he's being given mm. in the last 15 minutes of games. Um, you know, I don't think... I don't think he offers what Lacazette does, essentially, in terms of his ability to, you know, be a bit of a focal point or link the mm. play or drop in. I just don't think that's his game. I think he's having a go at it, but he's, it's... It's not really in his wheelhouse. Um, so, yeah, I think it is. I, I mean, I, I thought the drop-off in quality 
from Lacazette and Saka to Pepe and Nketiah mm. on Saturday was pretty stark. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I increasingly I think this race for fourth may be won by the team who keeps their first choice 11 fit. Mm. Um, you know, if, if Spurs are going great guns now, but if they lose one of their key players, that would all change. And I think the same is probably true for us. I think we would struggle without one of our main men. Um, I don't think we have the depth. So mm. that fitness issue is pretty imperative, I think. Yeah, I mean, we had a question here from Arciaguner89 uh, on Twitter who says, does our chance of getting in the top four depend heavily on whether Thomas Partey can play, uh, stay fit and play the remaining games? If he's injured, who do you think should replace him at the base? I don't think Sambi is ready to even provide half of what he's been doing. And he says uh, Bakayo Saka, but I don't really see that as an option. Um, and it's, I know it's a question specifically about Thomas Partey, but... Are there other positions where you think if we lose that one player, we're in big, big trouble? I think party might be the main one. Yeah. I, I just don't see an alternative. I mean, Sambi, I don't think Sambi has started a league game. He started one league game since Anfield in November. Um, and I, and, and it's a, it's a huge kind of pressure point position in our team that, mm. It's kind of the Santi Cazorla thing, almost, of like, we're going to give you the ball in a really difficult position. Yeah, you wriggle out <laughs> Probably of it and make space and make good passes and we'll just yeah. you know, we'll stand here and watch. You're going to pull a rabbit out of a hat <laughs> and get us away on the attack. And I think throwing Sambi into that, or indeed Granit Xhaka into that, um, does not fill you with the same degree of confidence at all. It would require so a change I of system probably or or a tweak to the formation maybe but yeah exactly the system's been working very well I guess the answer is how do you solve it you'd probably solve it with two players you'd probably play Shaka and Lakonga in more of a double pivot mm. and have to slightly reconfigure things um I almost don't want to think about it you know what I mean because yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah I know what you mean party's so integral I think other areas of the squad, we've seen players come in and out. Um, you know, at fullback, we've seen people come in and, and do well. Uh, wide attack, we've got at least three for two positions. Centre forward, I think, would be interesting if we did lose Lacazette. Would he just go with Enketia? I'm not sure, mm. you know, on current form. I wonder if he would try something different. I think he might. I think we might see the Smith-Rowe, false nine type thing deployed because, yeah, like he he hasn't done, I mean, you could say he doesn't get a lot of playing time. He's coming on in games, you know, for 10, 15 minutes at a time. It's difficult to make an impact, but really nothing he's done apart from that little show in the in the Wolves game would make you think well if we've got Eddie and Ketty up front for 10 games everything will be okay I don't think it would yeah. you know so, so what, what would be is party the main one for you too I think so yeah because he's he's the he's the hinge in our spine if you like um yeah you, know, you need those. Yeah, if you, you do. Yeah, you need, unless you just want to be a straight spine, but you want a bendy, sure. 
you know, twisty spine. A because degree of flexibility. Exactly, exactly. It's unpredictable if your spine can go in different directions. And he does that. So, yeah, he's he's just been so good since um, since the new year. Um that he would you know, be, in Spain, be, there was that thing. He was he was called the octopus, and and I yeah, believe yeah, yeah. he was called the octopus because he had these kind of legs that could reach in and win balls. But actually, it's much more fitting if you think about an octopus's ability to kind of squeeze through infinitesimally small, small, yes, very small, small, yeah, very small spaces. That's really the magic trick that he pulls off time after time. Did you have a question about centre-backs? I did have a question about centre-backs. Because on the subject of injuries that would concern me, I guess it's worth mentioning those things. It comes from Henkyo. Henkyo on the Discord. He says, Morning, guys. How high do you rank our defensive partnership in terms of the other top clubs and how good could they become in the future? To be this good at this stage of their careers, where could they be at their prime 27 to 32? And we did talk about them uh, in the first half. Um, I I thought they were both superb, uh, but I think it was probably Gabriel's best game. For Arsenal, in my recollection, anyway, I thought it was his most complete performance as a central defender. Um, the defending, the organisation, the physicality, what he did on the ball, how secure he was—not uh, quite like a coming-of-age performance, but I thought that was the best I've ever seen from him. Yeah, I think uh, he was outstanding. I think they're a really strong unit. I think I have to give credit to the team as well. I think part of the reason they look so good is that I think we defend very well as a collective. Um, I think the spacing in the team is really excellent. Like the distances are all very good. We're very compact. Mm. We protect our back four. That's the thing. Like we, For a long time, I saw a team that struggled playing a back four because the centre-backs looked so exposed, but that's no longer the case. That's um, Yeah, that's true. You don't see these huge gaps in central midfield with people trying or not trying hard enough to run back towards their own goal as the opposition bear down on our central defenders. You don't really see that anymore. No, and, and you know, our... Our pressing numbers, in as far as kind of the stats enable us to see, aren't aren't especially high. And people go, well, "How do Arsenal keep all these clean sheets without defensive intensity?" And I think they do a lot of good work away from the ball, off the ball, in terms of organisation, shape, um, and that helps. But I do think individually these two are very good. And in, in terms of how good they are, well, certainly in Arsenal terms. They're in modern times, they're right up there. I mean, I think in 20, I saw a stat in 2014, I think Chesney, Koscielny, and Murtzaka were credited with uh, 16 clean sheets in the league. And I don't think Gabriel and White can be far from that. Um, I saw the clean sheets statistic um, going around. I think they must be on 13, something like that. so got every chance of surpassing that number. Um, in, in Premier League terms, I've said it so many times, I think these guys could play for the best teams in the league. I really honestly believe that. Mm. Um, I think they could play for Man City. I think they could play for Liverpool. Uh, I could see both of them at that level, uh, especially when you consider their age, the fact they're still improving, likely to get better. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, I, I, it's been such a problem position for Arsenal for so long, hasn't it? Centre half, and yeah, it really feels like we're getting it right at the present time. It's another interesting aspect to consider of what Arteta is doing, um, how he's building the squad, but how he is trying to address certain issues in the team. You know that there is a strategic element to this. Gabriel was signed. We brought in Ben White. Um, like, I think he's looked at it and, and and decided you need at least one top-class central defensive partnership to get anywhere in the Premier League. And if you're going to improve, you need that. And as City have shown, you know, their central defenders are not quite interchangeable, but you can you can work through a season, particularly a season if you have European football, with three central defenders and and that's something hopefully we'll be seeing uh, next season as well if William Saliba comes back and is part of things you know there's plenty of game time to go around you are going to need to rotate and and everything else but it's about uh, fixing problems that existed you know when when you're a a rookie manager um, and you're having to depend on someone like Shkodran Mustafi if that's the best option that you feel you have at times, that says a lot about the squad that you're working with, you know? Um, like Mustafi was paid to go away, basically, um, because we knew, like, you can't just, you just can't. Um, and I think it's it's an interesting thing um, when we think about what we're going to do in this summer and how we're going to fix other problems in this team. The fact that we've got it so right at central defense um, is really encouraging. Yeah. Absolutely. And listen, it didn't come cheap. No. We spent serious money, particularly on Ben White. Um, but it was something Arteta felt he had to do. If you And again, if you look at Pep, if you look at City, the money he mm. spent on defenders. Um, I think it is really important in the Premier League. And in fairness as well, a partnership is not really something that's necessarily predictable. But I do think these guys make each other better. Um and there's a brilliant balance. So very encouraged by, uh, by what they're doing. And mm. also I really loved, I think when Lacazette was pushed over, maybe you tweeted this, Ben White just kind of <laughs> laughing uh, manically, like, I don't know, like Heath Ledger's Joker. Just, <laughs> I mean, the man's just a crazy nihilist, um, <laughs> der- der- deriving satisfaction and uh, laughter yeah. from the strangest scenarios. I know, he's, he's so much fun. Ben White, I'm I'm really I'm really enjoying him as a footballer, but him as a person as well. There's something very dry about him, um, which I and as a body, I can I say, Whew. wow, yes, yes, hot stuff. He sure is. Big lion tattoos. Um, no, it, it's great. Um, and did you notice as well when Bakayo Saka scored the goal? Who was first on the scene? Cedric doesn't miss a beat. Cedric finds a way. Cedric finds a way to be in the photo first. Listen, the the Cedric redemption (laughs) arc is something I did not anticipate. And I'm I'm here for it. I'm enjoying it. Um, We get this question most weeks, but I guess after the Classico, it is probably worth a quick airing. Isaac Nauruzi says on Twitter, um, Bamiang posted about separation being good for all parties and I'm inclined to agree. Do you think it was the right call getting him out or do you think he could be doing for us what he is doing for Barcelona? 
a brace for him last night against yeah, Madrid. Yeah, amazing. Um, I mean, he he had a similarly good start to his Arsenal career, didn't he? Scored a load of goals very, very quickly. Um, yeah. Look, it's one of those where I don't really think there's any benefit in dwelling on it. Mm. Um, like we said at the time, would you would you prefer to have an Arsenal squad with a top uh, firing Aubameyang in it than not? And of course you would. Uh, and we've discussed in Keddy and we've discussed how short we are up top, but, you know, uh, I think we could drive ourselves mad with this. Maybe he needed the change of scenery as much as anything else, you know? And I'm happy for him to go over there and score goals and do well and be happy again in his football. Um, there was something wrong wasn't there? There was just something wrong with the last 12 months or so uh, between him or maybe just what he felt at Arsenal. It wasn't right. It wasn't quite right. And we had reasons and excuses, whatever you want to call them. There was obviously the the personal stuff he went through. There was malaria. There was COVID. You know, all of these things played into it. A cocktail of stuff which just made it not uh, work. Um which isn't to say it couldn't have worked, but the decision was made. He's doing well. We're doing well. Hopefully, we've got enough goals in us between now and the end of the season uh, to, to do what we need to do, and then we address that problem properly in the summer. But beyond that, you know, I can't, I can't drive myself crazy by thinking, if only, if only, if only the decision was made. It seems to be working for him. seems to be working for us. Um, and, yeah, that's as much as I've got on this. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I thought Oba sort of nailed it himself, to be honest, when he said on Twitter, uh, sometimes everyone benefits from a separation. Most important is that everyone is happy now. And we had good times that I will not forget. I mean, mm. it's kind of... <laughs> it's kind of nice, in a way. Like, very few Arsenal fans hate or even dislike Oba, I think. You know, he's very he's, he was a very popular guy. And most people I follow or that I know seem pretty happy to see him doing well and enjoying his football again. And I think, yeah, I think, you know, it, it, sometimes the separation is the right thing. Mm. And I, I'm not convinced, I'm not convinced we would have seen this Aubameyang at Arsenal again this season. Um, and I think when you look at his history, you know, he was brilliant for Dortmund for a period of time. And then he wasn't happy there and it was pretty ugly. Mm. And then he came to Arsenal and absolutely flourished. Yeah. And similar similar echoes, certainly, with the move to Barcelona. I think he needed it. I think he probably wanted it or needed it more maybe than he realised. I think it's clearly given him a new lease of life. I'm not sure he would have got that staying in London. Yeah. Do I think he's a better striker than Eddie Nketiah? Almost certainly. But... I don't think that was the consideration really when they made the decision and yeah. um, for the present time it feels like everyone's doing alright so I'm sort of choosing to take that as a, a positive right now Alright, we had a question or two about um, Adam Morris uh, on. we didn't have questions about Adam Morris uh, this is a question from Adam Morris about the subject okay. that I was about to say He's asked, That's good because I'm not that well versed now, Adam Morris No no, my Morris knowledge is quite 
quite limited. Um, Adam Morris, uh, Adam Morris 55 said, interested on your thoughts on Sky's commercial decision to have not yet rearranged the Spurs game, despite ample opportunities to do so, presumably to manufacture an end of season blockbuster fourth place playoff. It can't be right that they can shape the narrative that way. And um, on the Discord, Benny Blanco uh, said, goodly morning, gents. Given a, a somewhat resurgent Spurs look to be our biggest rivals for a top four finish, is the prospect of a blockbuster North London derby in May something to be embraced or feared? Oh, feared. <laughs> feared? You, know, you never want a cup final against Spurs. Do you know what I mean? It's mm. because the stakes are too high. Um, the risk of them being happy just adds too much anxiety to the day. And I, if, I mean, listen, it's going to be late in the season. It's going to be either in the final week or I think mm. my hunch and my information is maybe the week before. So um, we play Everton on the 22nd. Yeah. I've got a feeling this game will be on like the 11th. Um, Let me have a look. Here. So in the penultimate week of the season. Partly because I don't think TV will risk it going to the final game. Um if they want to make it competitive, you know, there's a chance if it's the penultimate game of the season, could be... Do you think they could put it... up one yeah. Way or other. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, oh, it's a it's going to be a, a, a big old affair, a big old game when it happens. And, I, and I've said for a while now, it's Spurs. You know, the rival for this fourth place is Spurs. Um, I don't think... Well, I, I think it, we're seeing that West Ham, the more they progress in Europe, I think the more difficult it's going to be. They've lost Jared Bowen to injury at the present time. Mm. Um, Wolves, uh, I, I don't think will sustain. United, I think, are in too much of a muddle. So, yeah, I think it's between us and Spurs. Yeah, I mean, look, that's a, a classic six-pointer, as is the Man United game. And, and look, we're all hugely encouraged about where we are and our position in the table. But we do have to play Chelsea. We've got to play Spurs. We've got to play United. got to play West Ham. Difficult games. You know, there's a yeah. lot to do. There's nothing that we can take for granted. Home. Yeah, exactly. So there's, there's some twists and turns potentially along the way. But, you know, I don't worry about our... I don't worry about our... our um, our character or our ability to cope with that kind of pressure. It's just how stretched the squad might become. And if one or two players lose form or if we pick up an injury or two, the depth issue is certainly something that would worry me. But look, one game at a time, that's the, um, that's the mantra. I mean, if we win all our games, we'll be all right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But, you know, I mean, I think, um, we have to just not focus on what other teams are doing and just look at our own games and, mm. and push on through. Um, I think, you know, we'll be we'll be in and around the sort of 70-point mark come the end of the season, which is very decent. Yeah. Um, but Unai Emery finished with 70 points in his first season mm. and didn't make the top four. You know, it's not a guarantee. Yeah. Maybe we'll do um, our predictions because we've got 10 games next. We'll do our predictions next week or something because we do have a, a yes, interval. Yes, that's a good a, a little contender. Um, Let's do one more. Um, and I suppose we might as well, given the fact that we've had a big win and we've all enjoyed it and we want to celebrate, we want to keep the good feelings, the, the vibes going. Castle mm. on the Discord says, Hey guys, wondering if you saw the news about Mike Dean retiring at the end of the season and what's your reaction to that? 
Oh, the celebration police better prepare themselves, I tell you. Because <laughs> we'll be in the streets if that happens. I mean, uh, terrific news. Delighted by the end of that man's career, uh, <laughs> should that come to pass. I mean, honestly, overjoyed to see the back of him. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you won't catch me um, defending Mike Dean in any way, shape or form. And like the thing that happened about 12 months ago, 18 months ago, where there was this kind of, this narrative went around, like, look at cuddly old Uncle Mike Dean. Look, he's so zany and eccentric. The Mike and, Dean yeah. rebrand. No, I wasn't having that. None of that bullshit. Get the fuck out of here. Fuck off and never come back um, would be my reaction to his retirement. Not before time. I mean, I think he's he stayed on longer than most referees are allowed to stay on, hasn't he? Yeah. yeah. He's 84 years old, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. He's older than Mr. Burns. No, he's 53. He claims. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just find it. I just put Mike Dean into Twitter, into Google rather. Right. And um, the first entry that comes up is from the Arsenal website, dailycanon.com. I love that it's the Arsenal websites who are leading uh, kind of news <laughs> articles saying, Mike Dean to retire. Um, At the end of the season. Yeah, yeah. There should be like fucking party balloon emojis and all kinds of stuff. Going on it's actually that. really funny because <laughs> when you click through to Daily Canon, they've got all like um, related stories at the bottom and they're all by Lee Hurley. Lee Hurley's written this story and then it's got Lee Hurley, Mike Dean's retired in the season. Lee Hurley, 25% of all Mike Dean's matches involve Manchester United or Arsenal. Lee Hurley, Arsenal, Manchester United and Mike Dean. Lee Hurley, Mike Dean's Arsenal penalty face is season highlight for fans. It feels like Lee Hurley is out here doing the Lord's work, trying to you know bring down the reputation of Lee of Mike Dean. So hats off, Lee Hurley. Uh, we'll all be glad to see the back of Mike Dean. I think it's fair to say um, we'll undoubtedly have um, some more Mike Dean in our lives between now and the end of the season. I'm sure we will be um afflicted with him uh, at some point he will not go quietly into the night will he he'll be like <laughs> mr var or something like that you know well, you, you won't get rid bad. of mike dean that easily no no like a wart but at least we won't have to see him well unless he takes the place of peter walton on bt sport and becomes oh, the, my God. the new peter Andrew, walton. why would you breathe that into existence <laughs> Are you blaming me if that happens? You're blaming me for that one, are you? They can't get rid of Peter Walton. He's blockbuster. The man's a television natural. Um, yeah, God. Mike God. Dean would relish that spotlight, wouldn't yeah, I'm he? I'm sure he would. I'm sure he would. I guess he would wear, like, uh, funny ties or coloured suits or wig, something I like think. that. <laughs> he came up wearing a wig. Just, in, just wig. never explain it or reference it. Just turn up yeah. with a, like, blonde wig and be yeah. like, hey, guys, it's me. Yeah, it's me, Mike Dean. Um, all right, look, I think we'll leave it there because you've got some work to do um, on the other side yeah. of the English Channel. Um, so thank you to your uh, hotel Wi-Fi for standing up to the rigours of this particular arsecast. Uh, hey, it held up and the really do not sign was effective. No, yeah, I did hear some people okay. talking in the corridor outside. Oh, but, you know, mate, I've had that all weekend. Let's not get into that. All right, to all be right. honest. That's a we'll talk about that all fair. Um, okay. To you guys for being here and listening. Thank you very much as always. Uh, we will catch you on the next one. Until then, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye.
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.